Hello and welcome back to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. Can't imagine fitting another appointment into your life? Well, with Talkspace, therapy is as easy as sending your therapist a message. No commute, no waiting room, no judgment. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com savvy and use the code savvy to get $30 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com savvy and the code savvy. So today, I'm delighted to have with us Dan Harris. Dan is an Emmy award-winning journalist and the co-anchor of ABC's Nightline and the weekend editions of Good Morning America. He's the author of 10% Happier, a number one New York Times bestseller. And he went on to launch the 10% Happier podcast and an app called 10% Happier Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, which, by the way, I think is the best title ever. He lives in New York City with his wife, Bianca, their son, Alexander, and three ASPCA cats. His new book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, is part road trip documentary, part myth-busting, part meditation how-to, and is available now. So, Dan Harris, thank you so much for talking with me. You know, I love the way you describe the new book because I've actually had trouble um, describing the new book. So I'm going to steal what you just said. You can do that. Feel free. (laughs) But I really really enjoyed both of your books, so 10% Happier and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And so for our listeners who might not be familiar with your story, can you give us a short background on how um, on your, you know, some would say unlikely path to meditation. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a stereotypical meditator. You're not. Definitely <laughs> not a stere- stereotypical meditation evangelist. Um, yeah, I quite famously had a panic attack on, on national television back in 2004 on Good Morning America. I, I was anchoring the news updates, uh, which is the, the, the person who comes on <clears throat> at the top of each hour and delivers the headlines. And um, I just I lost my ability to speak because I, I was just freaking out. And you can see it on YouTube if you want. And um, That's very just, brave just, of you. <laughs> you can yeah, type in panic attack on live television, the first result that comes up. Lucky you. Uh, so it was caused by some dumb decisions in my personal life. I had... Um, at the time, uh, I had spent uh, several years overseas in war zones uh, as a young, ambitious, idealistic reporter and had come home and gotten depressed. And then, and this is where things got really stupid, I started to self-medicate with recreational drugs, including cocaine and ecstasy. And that was enough, according to the doctor I later consulted, to to artificially raise you probably know a lot more about this than I do, enough to artificially raise the level of adrenaline in my brain and to sort of amplify my baseline anxiety and make me more prone to have panic attacks. So that discovery and that that kind of cascade of mindless behavior set me off on a path that ultimately landed me on on meditation. And since then, so you say in the book that, I love this quote, that meditation has been the victim of the worst marketing campaign for anything ever. So what is, what, what's wrong with the, the current image of meditation and, and how, in your eyes, can it be addressed? Well, I think, I think um, 
Uh, I have a bunch of things to say about this, but <laughs> the, 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 if you look at the traditional art that depicts the meditation experience, you know, the Buddhas that you, mm, little mm-hmm. Buddha statues that you see at the airport spas, um, uh, it, it has, you know, uh, guys folded up into a pretzel or women folded up to, into a pretzel, um, with these beatific looks on their faces, like they're floating off into the cosmos and they, you know, it's all bliss and light. It's all very um, airbrushed. Yes, sure. Yes. Yes. And so that creates the impression that a meditation is weird mm. and B that, uh, you're going to do it wrong unless you ultimately, you know, immediately end up in a state of bliss. Mm. Uh, that is not how meditation really is. Uh, it's exercise for your brain and for your mind. And often it is hard, really hard because what you're doing in meditation is trying to focus on one thing at a time. Usually you're sitting, you don't have to sit cross-legged you could just sit in a chair if you want and you're trying to bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath usually and then when and this is the key every time you get distracted which you will a million times that's what brains do yes 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 you begin again and again and again but because of this facetiously uh, labeled horrible marketing campaign people sit down to meditate they immediately get distracted and they immediately conclude i can't do this Mm -hmm. i hear i mean i can't i think yesterday i heard it twice from people, oh yeah, 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 I tried to meditate, I can't do it. And that's like saying, you know, somebody hands you a violin and you can't play it uh, mm. because you've never taken a violin lesson mm-hmm. before and uh, you conclude you can't play the violin. It's a skill, you know, you need to learn how to do it. You get better and better and better at doing it, but you're always quote unquote failing at meditation. That is meditation. It's not about getting to a special state of you know a, a bliss zone that may actually happen at the deep end of the pool but for mm. most of us myself included generally speaking this process of meditation is seeing that you've become distracted and beginning again and again and again and by the way that is the important part that's the practice See, well, it's yes it's not only it's it's the practice and the reason it's the practice is when you see how nuts you are you then are no longer yanked around by the insane voice in your head. Mm. And that is that is why that moment, the moment of waking up from distraction is so important. And so uh, uh, I think people need to understand that, that this is a, a form of exercise, a kind of bicep curl for your brain, where every time you get distracted, you begin again and again and again, and you're gonna have to do that millions of times. It's just like when you go to the gym uh, if you're not panting or sweating, then you are cheating. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, as I like to joke, if you sit down to meditate and all thoughts evaporate and you're flooded with bliss, then you're either enlightened or you're dead. And uh, and that is the that is the point that needs to be hammered home over and over and over to people. Which is you're not failing at meditation because because you become distracted. The fact that you noticed you were distracted means you have succeeded. That makes sense. So, okay, so already you're doing some myth busting for us. So, so for people who think, you know, I can't do this, that that's a fantastic answer for them. And so, in meditation for fidgety skeptics, you address some other really common roadblocks to meditating. And so, the most common, um, well, you tell me actually, the most common roadblock I'm imagining is I don't have time. So, what do you what do you say to to folks who say they don't have time to meditate? So, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, obstacles that we encountered was, I don't have time for this. Um, 
people are really busy these days. They're really stressed. And I think the, the perception of time mm-hmm. starvation uh, in this atmosphere of tech saturation is very pervasive and uh, often quite pernicious. And so you say to people, hey, you should meditate because it might reduce your stress. But actually, the very proposition increases their stress because they probably know they should be doing the thing, but they're not doing the thing. And so they're kind of beating themselves over the head with Mm -hmm. the thing. So on this score, I have good news and even better news. The good news is that I think five to 10 minutes a day is a great habit. And from what I can tell from talking to the neuroscientists who I know who study what meditation does to the brain, five to 10 minutes a day is enough for most people to derive uh, many of the advertised uh, health benefits and and, uh, psychological benefits. And the better news is that if you don't feel like you have five to 10 minutes a day, then one minute counts. And I would say it's one minute daily ish. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and so that is really the bar that we as a company are now setting and that I as a sort of public speaker are now setting, which is, I think a great way to start if you're really worried about time is try to do one minute most days. And so th- that is like a combination of two of my favorite concepts. One is one minute counts, that one minute truly is enough to have a, to engineer a collision with the voice in your head so that you see the voice for what it is and are not so owned by it. And two, daily-ish, which is something I picked up from somebody who I met at a speech I was giving in Newton, Massachusetts at my old high school in Newton South, who talked about daily-ish being useful because your your aim is to do it every day, but you you have enough wiggle room so that you don't so that if you don't do it one day, you don't, the voice in your head doesn't pop up and tell you a story that you failed. It's not a tragedy if you miss a day. It's, it's, you can just start again. Absolutely. Just like you do on the cushion when you get distracted. Got it. Okay. So the book introduced me to a concept that had never occurred to me before. And that was that meditation can be enjoyable. And so in the in the book, my favorite meditation was this one called Enjoying the Body, which sounds like it should be R-rated. But as your co-author, Jeff Warren, says, it's actually about, quote, relaxing into your body like you're relaxing into a hot tub, which is a great image. And so I'll say to our listeners that we've included this meditation at the end of the episode, so be sure you stick around and you can try that out for yourself. But Dan, for you, you note that this idea of enjoyment was a new perspective for you, too. So what was your practice like before and then after this revelation that meditation could be enjoyable? Yeah, my practice was not a pretty place. Um, and still ways, and still in many ways, is not. You know, I mean, I have this tendency to kind of grit my teeth and do what I know to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Like eat, exercise, eat your vegetables, for exercise, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, much of it driven, frankly, by vanity. Uh, you know, I have work <laughs> in television. I got to look at my stupid face and, you know, all the time. Um, although I would say in meditation, a lot of that was not driven by vanity, but it was driven by um, a lifelong um, intimacy with depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to mention uh, panic attacks and substance abuse. Uh, and it was clear to me from looking at the research that this was um, a useful tool for dealing with anxiety uh, and depression and and then when I started to do the thing, it was obvious that, yes, it, it is. It's not a panacea, but it, it's certainly a great tool to have uh, in your tool belt, uh, so to speak. Uh, so Jeff, Jeff, let me just say a word about Jeff. He is this young, by young, I mean, he's my age, mid-40s, um, 
so probably not that young, but anyway, uh, young actually by, by, by the standards of meditation teachers, uh, meditate, uh, he's a meditation teacher from Toronto. I first discovered him because he wrote this excellent piece in the New York times about a, a, a month long silent meditation retreat he did Oof. in somebody's backyard. It was hardcore. really funny. It's hardcore. But I, I, I like to point out that, you know, uh, don't let that be a turnoff mm. because when, when you're looking for a, a trainer, you want somebody who like my trainer, she was, you know, a golden gloves boxer and, uh, did all sorts and, you know, went to, has a thousand hours of yoga training, did, did all sorts of crazy things that I would never do, but I want her for my trainer because she's an expert. And that's what Jeff is. He's somebody who basically has dedicated his life to this practice and does, you know, weeks and months at a time of silent meditation retreat so that he can get under the hood of other human beings and help them get better at this practice. And I just love the guy, uh, although we did almost kill each other in the course of writing this book, um, and uh, which I talk about openly in the book and it was 75 percent my fault but jeff is a wonderful human being and an incredible teacher and he very accurately diagnosed that my my meditation practice had a sort of he called it like an inner gulag <laughs> that it was it was like very very grind you know i i basically exposed that i'm a huge hypocrite hmm. because i walk around telling people all the time the whole point of the practice is to give yourself a break. When you notice you become distracted, start again and again and again and again. But when it happened to me, I was not so forgiving with myself. Hmm. And um, and I had a very, as you said, very eat your vegetables, uh, kind of grim death march approach to my own practice. And um, there wasn't a lot of enjoyment, but it's totally fine. While it is true on that you don't have to reach, you don't want to strive to reach some special state in meditation, you can enjoy the experience to the extent to which it is enjoyable. And sitting back and just enjoying this feeling of being, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but, and I picked on Jeff for saying things like this (laughs) during the trip, which is one of the sources of tension that I described throughout the book. But but enjoying the 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 massively obvious but almost universally overlooked fact that you are alive and have a body mm-hmm. actually is a, it can be the source of true enjoyment. Um, and uh, uh, it's a little trippy. You know, you're, yeah, it's a little trippy. You're tuning in. I mean, like we, we were born without asking to be born. We're here. Uh, we don't know why. Um, and uh, we don't know when it's all going to end. And uh, here we are. And like, OK, it's actually worth tuning into that. It gives you a whole new perspective on your existence. And um, so I, I found that Jeff's injunction that he's not saying you have to enjoy every meditation session because sometimes physical pain arises mm. or difficult emotions. But he's saying that you can tune into that when it's available and you can turn this practice from a grind into something that's more like a privilege. Mm -hmm. And that has been an incredibly important thing for me to hear. So this is where we take a quick break and thank this week's sponsor, Sunbasket, for bringing this episode to you. You might be considering taking up meditation for the new year, or you may have a food-related resolution. And whether you want to go vegan paleo or sustainable and cage-free, Sunbasket makes it easier than ever. They deliver healthy meals directly to your door, including organic produce, responsibly raised meats, sustainably sourced fish, organic pasture-raised eggs, and organic non-GMO tofu, plus house-made sauces you can't find anywhere else. Sunbasket lets you mix and match from paleo, lean and clean, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, 
Mediterranean, and more. There are 18 recipes to choose from every week, and each recipe is ready in about 30 minutes. You can cancel anytime, skip anytime, and choose any meal plan you want. So to learn more and sign up, go to sunbasket.com savvy and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com savvy for $35 off. sunbasket.com savvy. And now back to our conversation with Dan Harris. So in your previous book, so in 10% Happier, you, you also tell this story of how in 2011, you, you went through this period of what you called drift. Like you, you had started meditating, you had the practice, but you were really struggling to balance like some of the benefits of meditation. So like being less reactive, being more compassionate, while still being assertive and keeping up your game in, you know, in your field, in this cutthroat world of TV news. And so how did you solve that dilemma? And what advice can you give for people who are concerned that meditation will make them soft or complacent? Uh, If it is making you soft and complacent, you are misunderstanding the point, as I did. Mm. Um, So this is a big concern. Actually, it's one of the myths that we address in the book Mm -hmm. that there are, in fact, we spent some time with... um, Cops in Tempe, Arizona, who some of whom uh, their chief was recommending meditation, and and um, some of the uh, some of the cops worried that it would somehow make them soft and perhaps even put their lives at risk mm. in a dangerous job. And so, uh, you know, I, this is a really important myth to address, um, and I'll just address it through my own personal experience. In 2011 or 10, um, we got a. At ABC News, we got a new news president by the name of Ben Sherwood, who's very dynamic, energetic, ambitious, wildly intelligent guy. And um, he didn't, you know, like he and I knew each other before he got the job and had had a pretty good relationship. But he arrived at a time where I, I just I wasn't like his cup of tea for some reason. And it was pretty obvious that like big assignments and things like that weren't going to me. Hmm when he got there and i normally the old me the like sharp elbowed version of me would have gone into the office screaming and yelling and but i kind of i got this um i had this feeling at that time i had med- been meditating for a couple of years i was writing this book i was like you know uh, that that's not me anymore i'm 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 not that guy anymore and so i kind of went limp mm. and Things got even worse with him, and uh, like my career was not going in a good direction as a consequence. And it was my wife who shook me out of it. She was like, "What is the matter with you? You know, go talk to him and figure out what you can do to fix things." And I realized that I had been misapplying the lessons of meditation. The lesson of meditation isn't that you should be, you know, passive. Mm. It's that you can compete without being cruel. That you you can uh, do your best and be ambitious but not be so attached to the results uh, that you uh, are crushed every time things don't work out. And so I actually crafted a kind of middle way approach with my boss. I went to his office and instead of yelling about how I wasn't getting the assignments I wanted, I said, it's clear to me that things aren't going really well. I'm pretty sure that the onus is on me to fix it. So please tell me, what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. what, what was your advice? for me, you know, making a comeback. And I could see his entire view of the studio because I think he thought I was coming to 
you know, to yell at him to pick a bone, yeah, gnash, yeah, yeah. Gnash teeth and things like that. And I could see his entire mindset shift. And actually, then he became my ally, and mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, here are a bunch of things you can do that I would like to see from you. And so I aggressively attacked his suggestions, and he was highly attuned to my subsequent efforts and cheered me on. And I ended up getting promoted to be the uh, co-anchor of Nightline um, as a consequence. And it's my relationships at ABC and my attitude about work has been really transformed as a consequence. So the, the bottom line is you really, people think if they become happier, they're going to go soft, but mm. that is to confuse happiness with complacency. I am still incredibly ambitious. I have a startup company based in Boston that teaches people how to meditate through an app. Uh, we have very big plans. We want to be like Nike for the mind. And I have, Two books I've written. I've got two more on the way, at least. Um, I co-anchor two shows on ABC News. I have a podcast. I am incredibly ambitious, but I meditate for two hours a day and um, talk about it all the time and help people do it and go on meditation retreats. And I think the two coexist nicely because what meditation helps you do is to be more focused, less yanked around by your emotion, and more compassionate toward other people. And all of those things are things that help you succeed when understood in their proper context. It doesn't mean you can't advocate for yourself, but you don't have to like be so carried away by your anger or jealousy that you can't function appropriately or that you lose your ability to bounce back. So I want to highlight what you said, that you meditate for two hours a day. But at the same time, I really appreciate that you say that one, you know, one minute counts that it doesn't have to be this all or nothing. It doesn't have to be two hours a day. It can be just enough to have this you know, showdown with the voice in your head for, for one minute a day. So I want to highlight that. Also, I love what you said about how meditation allows you to or can allow you to compete without being cruel. And yeah, so, I, st- I stole that from Sharon. I, well, I, I, I think the more press that phrase gets, the better, because that's that's great. And as a nice segue, so as, as the word of, you know, the scientific benefits, the health benefits of mindfulness meditation gets out. So I imagine that there are going to be a lot of ambitious, striving people who pick it up kind of as a, as a performance enhancer. But I imagine that those are the same people who are going to drive it too hard to try to do it perfectly. So how do we know if we're pushing too hard? And what can be done to address that? Well, another, Sharon Salzberg is a great meditation teacher. I stole the, uh, com- you can compete without being cruel line from her. I'm going to steal another line from a great, <laughs> another great meditation teacher who is a very close friend of Sharon's named Joseph Goldstein, who is my meditation teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, Joseph talks about using struggle mm. during meditation, the feeling of struggle and striving as a feedback. Mm. So it's really useful to know if you've got a sense that you're pushing really hard, you should be able to tune into that hmm. and to know, oh, okay, this is an important feedback. I am pushing too hard. Meditation is a really hard thing for type A people to get their head around because we, and I include myself in this category, mm-hmm. we expect to do a thing and then it, and we, we, we do a thing and we expect to get preset results. That's just not the way meditation works. Um, it's actually where you, you go in and there's a certain amount of surrender uh, you're not trying to make any experience happen. You're just trying to tune into whatever arises physically or psychologically and to be mindful of it, which is to be non-judgmentally aware of it so that, and what's the, well, again, what is the purpose of that? So that in the rest of your life, when, where, by the way, you can't control everything, 
when a gust of wind hits you or somebody cuts you off or something untoward happens in the workplace, you are better able to respond wisely to these stimuli rather than reacting blindly. And so that's why the skill is so important. But the very skill you're trying to train involves you having to surrender some of your traditional approaches to activities in your life. And so my last question is, I have to admit, this is a this is a personal question for me. So what what constitutes a practice. So like for me, I don't sit on a cushion every day. I, I don't have a meditation practice, but I liked the name you put on this in the book. I do like to do what you call free range meditation as it occurs to me. So like, for instance, I will quite often like try to mindfully shower, like I'll you know pay attention to the sensation of the water or just the, the experience thereof. I will, I'm going to mindfully scrub this frying pan and, you know, pay attention to the sensation of the suds or how my arm is moving. But I, you know, again, I don't, I don't have a practice. I call this dabbling. I, I say I'm a meditation dabbler. Is there a line between dabbling and practice? And if so, what is it? I think it's a wavy, blurry line. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not go so far as to say you don't have a practice. Maybe I would say you don't have a formal practice, mm. but you've made it a, a an intention and a habit to do what is definitely meditation mm. in your life with some regularity. So, I mean, I, I kind of set the bar pretty low on this <laughs> personally and, and think that is a practice. What I do think is that actually that practice would be turbocharged by having a short daily-ish formal seated meditation practice, Mm -hmm. because that's where you are truly doing only the, the rudiments of the practice. And, and I think that daily short daily ish practice for you could literally be as short as a minute. Mm. And often it helps to draft onto existing habits, like right after you brush your teeth or right after Mm -hmm. you stretch, after you've worked out or right before you go to bed or right after you wake up, you know, basically to fit it into your routine seamlessly and to know that as you or if you decide to try to do this, it's got to be a process of experimentation. Um, The mind that we've (laughs) inherited as a consequence of evolution is really good at avoiding danger, Mm -hmm. uh, like saber toothed tigers and finding pleasure, you know, like food or sexual partners. Why? Because evolution didn't care about your long-term health. It cared about getting your genes into the next generation. This is Darwinism. Yes, absolutely. And, and as a consequence, we're not wired for, you know, easy adoption of healthy habits. And so I, I, you know, as you, or if you decide to tinker with a short, daily-ish formal meditation to kind of um, uh, put your uh, more ad hoc practice on, on, on steroids, I would say it's very important to, to approach it with a spirit of experimentation to, to know you're going to try a bunch of things and fail and start again, and, and that's totally fine. That is actually a successful process. The roadblock for me, I've been thinking about this as I was reading your books and thinking about like, why, why don't I do this? And so for me, I'm a, I'm a baseline, you know, pretty responsible, dutiful person. I do a lot of things because they're good for me. I do a lot of the eating your vegetables. And I feel like, whether this is logical or not, that having a formal practice would be another base to touch. It'd be another obligation. And so I want to shift my mindset from it being an obligation to being something that I'm not just doing to check it off on a to-do list. What, if any, advice do you have for, for people like me who you know, don't want another responsibility? 
Yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it. I, I think it's completely legit. So the first thing I do is just to validate that uh, emotion or set of emotions. I get it. Um, it does feel like another injunction and therefore not super fun. Um, and so what Jeff did in the book that I thought was really useful is to reframe the thing as a little bit of a luxury. Mm. I mean, particularly did this with my wife, who has a very similar psychology to yours. Yeah, which I, is, I could identify you know, with she, her very closely. When I, yeah. 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 So we we talk a lot about my wife and her in the book and her resistance to meditation. And it, actually, it's multifactorial, but that's one of the things is that she feels like she's doing a lot already and uh, she just didn't want to add this to the list. And Jeff's reframing was, okay, so at the end of the day, after you put your son to bed and you know your instinct is to put on some reality TV, like do that, put the reality TV on, but don't multitask, mm. you know, don't also go internet shopping and clean the dishes or whatever, just lot slob, you know, in a slovenly fashion, you know, lie down on the ground, turn the volume down on the reality TV, let it kind of be in the background and just enjoy the feeling of lying there lazily mm. for just a minute or two. Mm -hmm. And, and it can be tuning into the physical sensations in your body, the feeling of your breath, the feeling of your limbs resting on the floor and then every time you get carried off into your to-do list or whatever, starting again, and just do that for a minute every day or something, it feels good lying on the ground. Um, and so it is about reframing this as a as an indulgence rather than an injunction mm. that I think that for somebody with your set of obstacles might be the trick. But I don't promise that it's a you know silver bullet because I think silver bullets don't exist. Sure. I think it's a thing to try and tinker for. With. And then the yeah. and the other the other approach is to kind of get over to see that you're suffering from the psychology and to get over it because it's in service of the greater good, True. which is being less miserable. And so the <laughs> other way the other way to approach this is to tune into what the benefits are and let the benefits pull you forward mm. to get over the story you're telling yourself about mm -hmm. it being another thing to do and really to tune into the fact that if you did it consistently for a couple of weeks, you might notice that your inner weather is bombier and that would be worth whatever uh, inconvenience you convinced yourself it might create. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Dan, thank you so much. I, I learned a lot and I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise. Thank you for the great question. Of course. So Dan Harris wears many hats. Among them, he is the author of 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works a True Story. His new book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, is out now. And you can check out more meditations with the 10% Happier app and hang out with Dan and some super cool guests by checking out the 10% Happier podcast. And be sure to stick around and try out a 10-minute version of the guided meditation we talked about, Enjoying the Body. Thank you so much for making The Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. Get every episode delivered straight to your inbox when you sign up for the newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com slash newsletters. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can also like on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at QDT Savvy Psych, or follow me at Ellen Hendrickson. And finally, check out ellenhendrickson.com for free, helpful resources to beat social anxiety and be your true self. As always, The Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Have an awesome week. I will see you here next Friday for a happier, healthier mind.
And now, Enjoying the Body, a 10-minute meditation from Dan's co-author, Jeff Warren. Hello, Jeff here. We need reasons to reinforce life's easy positives, to counter what some contemplative neuroscientists like to call the brain's, quote, negativity bias, quote. This is the near universal human tendency to overfocus on the slings and arrows of fortune. That's what we're going to do in this practice. The meditation is relatively straightforward. The idea is to see if we can find a quality of enjoyment in the practice itself. The more we enjoy a sensation, the more concentrated we find we can become, which in turn increases the enjoyment. So it's a nice feedback loop to get into. And note here, when I say enjoyment, I don't mean being totally blissed out. It's more an attitude that we bring to practice. The decision to appreciate something a hair above neutrality. So, if enjoyment is there, great. If not, no big deal. You can still get plenty out of this practice just from building up the concentration and the equanimity. So let's dive in. Close your eyes, or keep them half open if you prefer, and take a few deep breaths. Each exhale is an opportunity to smooth out the lines of the face a bit, to relax the throat and shoulders. Try to notice as you exhale any settling that happens. Maybe the way the diaphragm relaxes, or the way the body sinks in exhaustion because, frankly, you're working too hard and you should meditate more. Focus on the sensation of breathing at the nose or chest or the belly. You can use a note here if you like. In, out, or rising, falling. Breathe naturally, like you've done a billion other times in your life. Except this time, you're doing it with the attitude of deciding to find this experience enjoyable. It can feel nice just to breathe. So there are different ways of connecting to this enjoyment quality. It may be that the sensation of breathing is already subtly pleasurable for you, in which case, just run with that. But sometimes a bit of mental reframing can also help. So for example, you might connect the idea that every time you breathe in, the oxygen is filling you with vitality. Or that breathing is kind of soft massage for your insides. However you orient, stay with the feeling 
of breathing. Staying with the breath. And when you're ready, try shifting your attention to the sense of your whole body sitting there. You're noticing your breathing, but see if you can also notice that the breath is happening within a slightly larger container of the body itself, the feeling of the body. So the breath is rising and it's falling, but there's also the sensation of sitting there. If you notice any uptightness in the body about anything, Just see if you can breathe out and soften through the front. The idea is to bring a subtle sense of enjoyment to just sitting there, to being in your body. It helps to smile even a non-committal Mona Lisa half-grin, appreciating the existential hilarity of sitting with your eyes closed in your living room or whatever, tripping out on the feeling of, yes, having a body. So you're still focused on the sensation of breathing, only now you've widened the bandwidth a bit, so you're aware of your body too. If thoughts and sounds pass through this container, no worries. In fact, screw them. Screw the thoughts, but screw them in a friendly and enjoyable way, not hating on them. It's more like you just don't care. Sounds and thoughts are just passing by, but you're grooving on the feeling of breathing, of having a body.
just a pleasure-loving hippie truant at an Allman Brothers show. No one ever needs to know. Enjoying the breath. Enjoying the body. This is the meditation. Just before we finish here, stop meditating altogether. The idea is to just sit and lie back with your eyes closed for a little while. Relaxing. Enjoying this rest. When you're ready, open your eyes and connect with the the room or space around you. The real learning with meditation is always how it affects you in the world. So see if you can explore bringing an attitude of relaxed enjoyment to any activity, anytime. Walking, moving your hands, exercising, even lying down and stretching luxuriously like a large jungle cat. Lots of folks do this instinctively. Why not do it intentionally? So thank you for giving this a try.